My name is Brandon Kilcullen. I'm the founder of Enact, and I beat the often path by following my heart and creating a product that solves my own problems and bringing it to market and sharing it with the world. Welcome to the Beat the Often Path podcast. My name is Ross Palmer. On this show, I showcase people who have taken the leap to build a life of meaning for themselves, typically while helping out this planet of ours. My guest today has done both of those things. Brianna Kilcullen worked in the clothing industry for big brands, and she was disappointed with what she saw. So she built her own e-commerce company selling hemp towels in Florida. It turns out that towels have historically been a pretty wasteful product, so she created an eco-friendly alternative. She did 100K in sales in her first year, and she got big press coverage from outlets like Good Morning America and more. She started just in 2018, and her carbon-neutral company has already saved an estimated 6 million days worth of drinking water with more sustainable practices. Her story is that sweet spot of personal satisfaction and changing the world, so I just know that you're going to love our chat. So here's Brianna Kilcullen of enact.com. Well, welcome to the show, Brianna. Very, very happy to have you here. Thank you very much for joining me, first of all. And Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And <laughs> I just wanted to say that I think your story is super cool because it represents something profound for a lot of our listeners. I think a lot of people might have had ideas in their life from time to time, or maybe they've had a few drinks with friends and they say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this or that? I've noticed that very few people actually follow through on those dreams. So I love your story because it represents something that's relatively new. If I'm not mistaken, you started it in 2018, right? Mm -hmm. So we're in coming up on year four. So it's new, so it's fresh. So we're still kind of in the heat of that moment. It's not like something you did 50 years ago, but we can actually still feel a lot of that process right now. So I'm very curious in the stories that have transformed people's own lives and also the stories that have helped people make some kind of an impact on their community or on the planet and obviously what you have done has done both. So if you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about exactly what it is that you have done with your company. Thank you so much. It's, uh, I'm so used to just working in the day-to-day -day of running the business that to step back and re be reminded of what it stands for and have someone else reflect that back is means a lot. So thank you. Um, My pleasure. That. It's what we do here. It. <laughs> I'm just trying to shine some light on people who deserve it. That's it. That's my goal. I, well, bless you for that. Um, we need more of you. So, you know, it's it's funny you say that. I think when you start a business, everyone likes to share all of their experiences. And one of the things you would I would always constantly hear is, I had this idea and then someone else did it. Or I thought of this and then someone else did it. And then you just, then they start talking about the Shark Tank and how you should be on Shark Tank. Yes. And so- Or Kickstarter. Think, or Kickstarter. One of yeah, the two. Like, one of the, or both. Or both, yes. Um, and so I think for me, I'm such a different type of entrepreneur where like my whole life I was raised to, my parents were first, our first generation immigrants. So oh, cool. they want safety and security. They want me to be in a job, which for them is corporate. It's getting a 401k. It's getting stock options. It's having someone else be responsible for what, essentially. What country, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, my dad's family is from Ireland and my mom's family is from Poland. Okay, cool. So they came sure. here. Yeah, so they're huge like families. My dad's one of eight and my mom's one of seven. Whoa. So we're like ginormous. Yeah. Like 
huge, huge family reunion. So my parents, like everything they built is what we, what they did, like nothing was given to them. So I think, um, my brother and I are very like everything we're going to have in life is what we've decided, what we, what we will work for is what we'll get. Um, and I think it's interesting. My, my parents were like, okay, you go to a company and you work and then that will, you work really hard for them and then you'll be fine and you'll be safe in that umbrella and you won't ever have any financial issues that they face, you know, growing up being in these large families. And so that's what I was doing. Um, and in the pro in the course of that time, I was just like, wait, the system doesn't make sense. Yes, I'm making good money. Yes, I'm having these savings, but I don't get to tap in or really ever stop working until I'm like 60 or 65. If you're lucky. If you're lucky, if you make it that far. And then it's like, now I'm told I get to live. Like, this doesn't make sense to no. me <laughs> at all. Right. Um, yeah. So that was really like the beginning where it just, I started thinking, okay, well, what are my skill sets and what are my experiences and what value did they bring and where do I put them? That's also going to create freedom for myself as well. And so working in the textile industry, I worked Under Armour, then I worked at Prana, which brought me to San Diego. And like, I started interviewing with these high profile startups that I was interested in. And I just started noticing, I was like, okay, like they're not actually doing what I feel like needs to be done as it relates to sustainability in yep. the textile industry. Like they're just kind of following what everyone else is doing. So I was like, all right, I don't believe in the system anymore. Now I'm like trying to work with who I think would be disrupting it, which would be these up and coming startups, but they're not doing what I think they should be doing. So what do I do with myself? <laughs> and I think that's where I started coming together to say like, it's you have to, I have to create this my, on my own if I want to see it. And the 2016 election really taught me like if someone can run for office who I watched on TV show, a reality TV show, then like I can do whatever I want to. Like there's no... <laughs> I, I was that. like, there's just no rules to the playbook. <laughs> there like, clearly are no rules. If there's one thing we've learned in the last several years, it's that there are absolutely no rules. There's no rules. I was None. like, there's no one driving the bus. No I logic. Someone was driving the bus. No one's in control, folks. No. It's what so, we make of it. I was like, all right, I'm I'm super impacted by my industry. I am fed up with all of the ways in which it's environmentally and socially impacting people on the planet. I don't see anyone doing this work. It needs to be done. Yep. And I'm going to go do it. And I'm going to do it by creating a brand and a product that people can get behind that will then be able to share that story and to create that disruption. So, so what was the yeah. first product that you created? I know, but just for our listeners. Yeah. So I started, at, that was the logic. Those were like the key milestones yes. of where my brain was at. And then I just started kind of really, I started noticing what are my products that I use and what could I do better knowing what I know. And I had, uh, didn't have a washer or dryer in my home, which it's funny. I don't have one, have one now either. And I noticed this mildewy smell, um, that was picking up on my bath towels. And I've noticed for years. A familiar um, smell. I think everybody smell. knows that smell. 
You're like, ew, like got to throw this out. Right. Yeah. It's so gross. And I was like, you know what? Everyone keeps asking me to recommend a sustainable towel company. And I have no one I can recommend because nothing's working for me. And at the same time, I had started really in researching and understanding hemp as a fiber for textile. And it's hemp's molecular structure is hollow. So it resists the growth of bacteria. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Like, why aren't we using hemp as in our socks and our underwear and all these places where you want that tend to pick up mildew and bacteria. And I just went on this whole deep dive and I was like, this fiber's coming back. Like this is, it's, it's got a bad rap with marijuana, but we're going to, it's going to start to branch out. Um, it's going to do its thing. And it's, this is what I want. And so that was really what set me on the course of designing this towel made out of hemp um, to right. solve my own problem of mildewy yeah. towel. Yeah. Well, that's a great, I mean, that's a founder story that we hear so often, somebody solving their own problem. But an interesting thing is, well, our audience is going to learn a new vocabulary word. I know I did. The word biostatic, right? That's the word. That's the property of hemp that we're looking for. It's hollow nature, right? And this biostatic property is what makes it particularly good for things like avoiding mildew on towels, right? I, I, and I guess the other word to add to that is biomimicry. So we get two. You get two. You um, being able to imitate nature like natural. Um, so for me, it was like this, we should be using natural resources that imitate how nature works, like how a leaf naturally repels water. So like when I was at Prana, they were looking into potentially um, how could you do a, la- a a jacket that would perform like how a leaf performs when it gets wet. It just wicks the water off naturally. Um, those are like the things I'm really into just because it already exists. It's not like, it doesn't require any chemicals or harmful, harmful chemicals and dyes to bring this to life. It's just, it exists. And how do we mimic it for our everyday use? That's I love so that. great. Yeah. I love that too. And those are the best kinds of solutions. It seems like that we're finding I call them win, win, wins, right? Wins for us, wins for a company, wins for the planet. But one of the coolest parts about your story, and it's a theme that I run into over and over again doing this. So part of this is for me to get inspiration from my own life. And I'm always wondering, I've, I've built a marketing agency and I'm always kind of wondering about taking the next step towards just using my marketing skills and building my own company as this rather than doing it for other people. So it's actually very interesting for me personally on a human level, but I'm an overthinker by nature. So for me, when I think of ideas or what could be a product idea, I tend to think that it has to be some crazy, insane thing or some really new thing. And then I'll go on Shark Tank and I'll see that somebody who just put a cupcake in a box and shipped it got funded by Kevin O'Leary. And to me, that's not an idea. That's just a thing that I would never even consider that putting a cupcake in a box and shipping it could be a thing. I would never have considered that making a towel out of hemp would be enough of a novel idea to form a company. It just wouldn't even occur to me. But yet I see this trend time and again that people are doing that. So how did you know that this concept would be enough? Was it a guess or did you just feel that if I start with a towel, what was that process of the genesis of this? Yeah, I'm so enjoying this interview because I do so many of them and I don't ever get to like deep dive into some of these components. So thank you for these questions. Um, 
I feel you on the Shark Tank cupcake in a box. Like I, to me, that's a need. That's not a problem. So I'm, I just love simplicity. I'm like, look, pandemic kicked all of our asses and still kicking our asses. Who needs to be sold anything that doesn't actually give them value and doesn't allow, I think we're moving into this, you know, hopefully space of more around experiences and time and connection as opposed to just consumption. And so for me, I could only, with the talents, it falls into Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So I could get behind, you use a towel every day, It somebody's got to take up that market share, might as well be me. And um, I did a lot of research on the branding and the marketing of the home goods space and a lot of customer data insights and reading reports. And I saw this huge gap in brand loyalty where there's no cool towel brand. Like there's not, there's the Patagonia, there's Nike, there's a Tom's, but there's no one who owns the home goods space. And there's no one who is marketing to men. It's very feminine, female driven. So for me, it was like, I not only are we solving a problem instead of focusing on a need, we're now also opening up a conversation and creating imagery with customers or a different target or uh, target markets that have never been marketed to, but all use a towel. Right. Well, so that was it. You mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What about Douglas Adams' hierarchy of needs? Are you familiar with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Oh gosh, I guess um, it's a towel. Yeah. The only thing that anybody needs in his mind was a towel. The number one thing across the entire universe. So some might say that it's at the very top or the bottom. I think it's the bottom, right? I want to do a custom. I want to do like for the um, Hitchhiker's Guide a custom towel and like market it because I feel like that could. One Kill customer it. right here. First customer, <laughs> I will okay, buy that Okay, I'm writing towel. this down because yes. it's soon. I think it's like April or May, which is his. Put, uh, oh, I don't actually know. It'll show up. But yeah, but put 42 yeah. on it. That's all I ask. 42 okay. must be on it. That's the answer to the universe, life, the universe, okay. and everything. Noted. Right. Okay. <laughs> all right, folks. This is that moment in the show where I humbly ask you to rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts or five stars on Spotify. Basically, wherever you are listening to it, if you enjoy these stories, please help support the show. Just rate it five stars. Leave a positive review. That's all I ask just to help me grow this podcast with you. So now back to the episode. So you've, you've got this idea. You've worked in the industry. You've had inside knowledge, another trend that we've seen. You've seen problems within. And I think that's important to kind of dwell on just because it's not like you came completely out of the blue. You worked in the corporate America scene, and that's where you saw firsthand that there was this need, both from a personal level and from a corporate level. And as so many people do, they realize, hey, it's not all about the money. There are other things that I value. So the cool two-parter here is, one, that you're doing something that you believe is good for the world, and I do too, I should say. But the other is that you are taking some sort of personal freedom and you're taking a risk for the sake of personal freedom so that you're not uh, so that you're not at the whims of your corporate overlords <laughs> you have to actually take initiative so i love both of those aspects describe that first year if i'm not mistaken you did 100k in revenue i think i read that on your website or somewhere the first year how did that part go first of all how did you manufacture this product and then how did you bring it to market mm-hmm. Yeah, so I 
yeah, now my my oh, people who I pay my respects to are, are angel investors. So now I have a different type of uh, <laughs> new godfathers and mothers. <laughs> new godfathers. Gotta kiss the but ring. Like, <laughs> exactly, but at least they're like they're they're into seeing things come to life. Whereas like if you go into corporate, they're just focused on like maintaining whatever package and cashing out so that they can go to their next place. Like they're not interested at all in pushing forward and disruption. That's so I think that's the, the, the beauty in this new space I find myself. But for me, uh, manufacturing is my background when I started at Under Armour. So I had a really good understanding of how the conversations and processes worked. So I started and tried to produce here in the US. Um, we couldn't find anyone to work with us. We went to uh, Europe, couldn't get a product that could compete costing-wise, and then finally got to China. And they were able to execute a product that hit our quality needs, our costing needs, our design needs, um, and make it happen. So that was, I did samples. Um, I've tested like literally every talent in the market. And then I created based off of what I wanted to see, brought that to life with the factory. They didn't want to produce it because everyone's used to expecting plush towels. So again, like I think everything I've done is always to just do things very simple. You want plush? We're not doing plush. You want colors? We're not doing colors um, because of the chemicals and dyes. Like it's not because I'm just being an asshole. Like, it's like, no, we're actually going to make a product that performs better, that protects your skin. Like, here's all the things we're not going to, we're going to roll pack it. We're not going to do like a, a square, the folded towel that you traditionally see. No plastic is used. So the factory, like, it was so hard to get them to do that because they're like, but we don't do this. Everyone wants this. And I'm like, right. That's the whole point. That's precisely so, why I'm here. Yeah, it's like if I if if I'm not doing something different, then what value am I providing? Right. But I think it's a safety thing that people are like, oh, you'll be safe if you do what everyone else does. It's like, yeah, then you're not doing it right. You're not doing what you should be doing because um, so it's already theme. been done. Yeah, yeah that's I. I well, sorry, we, go ahead. we don't historically think that hemp and China go together. Uh, regulatory reasons. Do, do have they legalized hemp for this? Were there any issues along that front? Hemp is um, huge in China. So when I traveled there in 2017, the government has invested so heavily in the infrastructure and have moved over from using cotton. So they have their government, they have their military. Everyone is now moved over utilizing hemp as a preferred textile. Whoa, I did not so, know that. That's awesome. That was when I was on the ground. I'm like, oh, if they're doing this, why aren't we doing this? Correct. And it, that's the questions I start to ask myself. Um, but no, with uh, with the with China, well, with the U.S., we made it illegal in 1937 um, because of that connection to marijuana. So Reefer we madness. made it. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. So we made it illegal, but we were importing it in. So we've been importing it in for decades. And so countries like China, India have started, like have infrastructure to do this. Um, and so when I started uh, like connecting all of the dots, I was like, we can make a bomb product, like amazing product. And we'll be able to have these conversations around infrastructure and what's been preventing us from bringing it to life. 
but, um, yeah, so I designed the product. I have been like very slow. Like we could have been much faster to market, but I'm just a big person, like a big fan of, okay, is this actually resonating outside of my ego? Like do other people like this? Do they want more of it? Is this hitting the needs they're solving their problems? And so through Kickstarter, that allowed us to do our first order to meet our minimum production um, and then have leftover production to sell and go to market. So I've been very methodical and just like typically what we do is we sell product and then we sell out and then we order another round. Um, it's not driven by like, let's just, you know, infiltrate the space as fast as possible. And so through that and getting five-star reviews and getting people say like, I feel really good knowing that I'm buying from this company and that this product is solving my problems has just allowed us to continue to, to grow slowly, but very authentically. Um, and yeah, we did hundred K our first year. We did a little That's over 150 K this year. Congrats. So yeah. So we're a little under the 300 K mark, um, which is exciting. And we had, um, when we had Kickstarter, we actually received our inventory in March of 2020, which is when COVID was officially starting to happen here in the U S in the lockdowns. So it, we had, it's been a while, like all I know on how to sell is COVID times. Like, I don't even know pre-COVID times when people are like, well, that's how it used to be. I'm like, I don't even know. All I know is like, these are the markets we sell in and these are how we operate in them. Turns out people quarantining at home also need a towel. Well, that's like a huge uptick is that people now realize they want to invest in their nest. And, oh, I should write that down. Yeah, I was thinking, I was like, have you not written that down? (laughs) That sounds bumper sticker worthy. I was like, invest in In your your nest. nest. That's a new slogan. Oh you heard here. Boom. We got Ooh, it. We got one on the show. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait no, to but, see that um, everywhere. And Amazon reached out to us in April, right? Like a month after We want to steal your idea. Well, they were like, based off our customer insights and trends, this is going to be, there's going to be a huge uptick in uh, people uh, going outdoor recreational use. Like they called that at the beginning of the pandemic. They were like, this is going to happen. So people are going to look for outdoor versatile products or versatile products they can use indoor and outdoor. We believe your towel is one of them. Like we think you should sell in this marketplace. So those were some of the like points where I was like, okay, yeah, got it. All right. Did you say no at that point or did you say yes? I said no. Good. Because everyone so hates Amazon. Well, I was like, no, we're not doing that. We'll just go to market and do this ourselves. And so we have been doing that and we have been doing well, but we did decide to go on Amazon in November because what I think happens for home goods specifically is people are like wanting to buy everything in one cart. So like people are going to Pinterest and saying like, okay, my new bathroom, I want these towels and like this lamp and whatever and then i want to just go to one place to Target buy it run. all you would think but, I, but because of covid everyone's doing amazon. The amazon run so we've been on it and we've been doing well and i think the future of e-commerce is or the current reality of e-commerce is you just have to be multi-channel and in our mindset we're like we need to make ourselves as accessible as possible for people to find us and if, as long as we don't change the integrity of our product, 
then like we are missing so many sales and so many opportunities to share our product by being like anti certain places. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yet again, I'm schooled. Um, Money talks. Money talks. (laughs) And some other people don't. Right. Yeah. I I am wondering, so I've seen at this point from your website, you've had quite a few legitimate media experiences. You have been on Good Morning America. Am I right about that? So how did you start generating legitimate media buzz? Did people approach you? Was that an active strategy that you had? Um, No. PR was never something. It's always come free. We've always had organic. So we have the number one on Google spot for hemp towels. And that was completely accidental. That's just because like I've blogged, I've done podcasts, I've done interviews for years on hemp and textiles and sustainability because it's, you know, why I left my career and to do. And so through that, we carved out that spot. So like the best things that have ever happened to us have been completely free through Google and ABC found us on Google, on, on, through Google reached out. And that's how we, I secured the Good Morning America gig. And um, I did an interview with Politico. So there's been some other bigger ones, but it, it's been grassroots. Like someone, I'll be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. And they're like, you should talk to so-and-so or like, I want to connect you. And then it goes from there. Did you notice a material bump after Good Morning America? Was there a giant uptick? Yeah. Oh no. That was like an insane sales in <laughs> two days. We were like, yes, this is great. Um, like I wish we could do this all the time. Uh, so that was very nice. And then it was funny cause then the next two days after this really large wholesale platform was, reached out, I'm like, Oh, you must've seen this on good morning America. And she's like, no, it was Google. So I think because hemp is trending and continuing to trend, organically people are now looking for hemp-based products and then that's where we're able to meet people um and then i think when you because it's not like a paid spot like we're just naturally there people are coming to us Mm -hmm. yeah organic search for the win very cool yeah so at the beginning you did kickstarter to fund the first rounds and then i'm assuming you went boots on the ground to china and then you experienced these factories um now you mentioned angel investors. How has the investment approach changed? Yeah, so I was always anti-investor because everyone just says like, oh, this horrible experience and just keep bootstrapping. But the reality of how the textile industry is set up is that's just not, we're not a SaaS business. It's not like, like we're just so heavy and having to order inventory and you have to pay for everything and then it has to sit on the ocean and then you have to turn it. And so your cash flow can get locked very, very quickly. And we're also working, like we have a new product that hasn't been on the market. We're doing a new business model where we freelance out for each one of our channels. So we freelance to AMP for someone to run our Amazon channel, run our Pinterest to run Google, and we just operate via Slack. So there's like a lot of nuances to the business that haven't been done in traditional brick and mortar retail ways because we don't have any brick and mortar um that it just realized we needed investment and traditional financing is not set up for startups in this country um you know they want three years of financials they want you to be doing a restaurant like they don't want e-commerce and hemp so it um 
pushed me into having conversations with angel investors. And we were getting already investors interested because they want to see manufacturing come back to the U.S. And we represent part of that. So I um, decided I had to change my perspective and look at it as instead of this like, you know, give and take like model where we just all of a sudden we're like not the brand or anything anymore. It was more like, this is a strategic partner who has a resource that you need for your business and that they're going to now open up their Rolodex and their contact list to help you get there. And the more people who believe in your vision, the more faster you're going to get there and not by holding it in just to say, I own this and no one can touch it. So that was like my pivot into being open and taking on angel investors. Fantastic. Did traditional banks balk at the idea of letting you open a bank account because of the industry of hemp? Was it tough to get a banking institution? Yeah. Like we don't, our bank now doesn't even know. Like we didn't, we purposely were like, we just do plant-based towels and cause we're in the South as well. So I was like, if maybe we were in San Diego or California, you know, it'd be a little bit easier to get away with. But here it was just like, we do sustainable towels. That's all you need to know. Because hemp, I mean, even sometimes with like current partners, like not even uh, financial partners, um, they're like, ah, like, can we smoke it? Like, what is this? And so there's a lot of education. But with the farm bill, hemp became federally legal, right? And it is legal. Unfortunately, like there's not a lot of customer facing education materials that are being circulated to a, to the general public. Mm. So it's mostly like brands and companies that are market have to do their own marketing and education in order to kind of push the American society forward on that. So this is a fantastic thing because most people when they have an idea they want to bring a product to market. They'll go through a lot of the steps that you had to go through, but they don't have to go through legislative hurdles. If I want to make a new phone case, I'm not going to have to deal with that whole piece of the puzzle. You're also in Florida. You're in the South, like you said, and Florida is, as we know, a historically very progressive state. <coughs> I'm sorry. I have something lodged in my throat. Um, <laughs> excuse me on that one. So you have brought into play various legislative change. You have a uh, bumped up against various things. And how have you been able to change the environment around you, which is such a cool thing to consider? Yeah, I, I think, I always think it's interesting, like Kanye West said, that like cities have become culture vultures and, you know, people need to go like the Bible Belt, like go to places where there's not people who are like you and like, let me know how it goes. <laughs> like with implementing the things you want to implement. And I think for me, that has been a, a really hard component, but also it is like another, the people you inspire because they're like, wait, this is here. Like, this is a safe space to have these conversations around who we're putting into office, what bills are in play, what businesses are coming to light. Um, it is like a really cool experience. But um, yeah, we did. I helped pass legislation to legalize hemp here. So that helped kind of <laughs> take another hurdle off of like people afraid because it's like you don't want to sell a product that's illegal to manufacture. Of course. That's just um, not fun to do. So we did that. And then now it's more so about introducing people to this concept of being 
retail is no longer brick and mortar. We're an e-commerce brand. And here's like what hemp does from a performance side. And then we do these ACT UP events here in Jacksonville where we um, highlight social and environmental change makers doing things um, in the community and we bring to life their platform and bring the community to rally around them to learn and, and how we can support them. So that's been the other component of like the impact of why we're doing what we're doing. That's um, fantastic. Congratulations on achieving that. That's going to help. That's going to pave the way for a lot of other people, which is, which is wonderful. It's, it's hard. It's yeah, really hard. Sure. Um, Cause like, I don't think people realize like, you know, for us, like I'm used to being in really progressive areas. So I like, you can come out and you'd be like, I'm a founder, I'm raising startup money. Like I believe in sustainability and clean tech and like all of these things. And I want to see them. And then you like walk out like my door into the neighborhood and it's like all plastic styrofoam. Nobody cares. There's nothing, there's no food that's organic. Um, like there's no conversation around the climate crisis, but you see the naval base starting to prepare and you're like, this feels confusing. Like if other entities are having conversations and doing work in this town, but like everyone else is pretending like it's not happening. Like, what are we doing? Um, but I think I don't know why Florida is Florida. I really don't know um, how it got to be this lack of, mindfulness and consciousness and awareness around the reality of what we're up against and also other human beings experiences. All I know is my family's from, or my family lives here and I grew up a good bit here. So I deserve to have as much space as possible to have what I want to see happen here too. Yeah, you do. And that's important for everybody to remember that and I think it's something that we all have to remember because there's a tendency to want to fit in. We have a general tendency to want to be popular, especially in the social media age. We want the likes and the followers. And we're so used to being bombarded with dissenting opinions or opinions that we don't like. And when you're surrounded by people who don't think like you, you experience that on a daily basis. But it's important for all of us to remember, and myself included, that we make a difference by voicing what we believe in, even if it's not necessarily popular. Even if we don't get immediate support, we only have one life to live. That's why I talk about the stuff that I talk about, because I care about this. I'm well aware that the vast majority of people don't seem to care about a lot of these issues. And I see it even here in my own life, people who just don't want to talk about climate change, people who don't want to talk about veganism or vegetarianism, people who don't want to talk about changing their life in any way, even the smallest thing. But at the same time, the thought that I had was if I don't talk about what I believe, then nobody's going to be hearing this voice. Nobody's going to be hearing this conversation. So then it's kind of your role or your job, thankless as it might be, to be that person who supports what you believe in so that hopefully in a couple of years, there's two more people like you in Florida or 10 more. And it's hard work. It's not fun. You could have just leaned into the cheap plastic crap uh, path. And maybe that would have been easier, but then maybe at the end of your life, you'd have tremendous regrets about not staying true to who you were. Yeah. And I think like the thing I keep kind of mulling over is there is this beautiful thing around community and it might not be the cho your chosen community, but it is your community. And I think for me, people like saw me grow up here. They know my story. They know my family. There is like this additional level of trust that 
what I'm doing is not all of a sudden to just like make everyone uncomfortable. They're like, no, we like, no, she's always been this way. Right. You're not, you're not coming as an outsider to impose your will. You're not saying, Hey, I'm here from California and you're going to do things my way. You're saying, Hey, I grew up here. I'm from here. I just believe some different things and I'm going to live my life and I'm going to do what I believe in. I think that's fantastic. I'm like, if you're doing you, then I'm doing me. I get to do me, right. I'm like, I don't don't have to pretend like I'm you. Right. These things are so simple, but like the concept of a towel, it's the simple things. That's what I'm amazed at. None of this is particularly hard, and yet nobody does it. So many people don't take the first step. They don't take the second step. They don't stand up for what they believe in. And as of this taping, this episode will air much later, but it was Martin Luther King Day yesterday. And you have to be reminded of these people who took significant risks to voice an opinion that was not necessarily popular, that it would have been far easier to say, everything's fine, yeah. you know, and he got killed for it. And a lot of people have, but there is incredible nobility in saying, this is what I believe in. I'm planting my flag in the ground and I'm going to commit to this. I think that's incredibly brave and really cool. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I love that quote. You know, and I think people like have gotten a little bit, I mean, I don't know how to say this. Like people don't think things are real. Like, no, we are all are going to die. And like when you die, what, when you look back, what do you want? What do you want to left behind? And I truly believe like it's to make the world a better place. It's to make yourself better it's then to make others are inspired to do better like otherwise like this concept of you're just here to like hug the balance beam and not fall and not ever get hurt and not ever like make a mistake I think is like the most the biggest bs that's being taught and unfortunately social media adds to that so much because nobody sees what happens behind the scenes they're just seeing this pretty picture and I think we need to like get our hands dirty. Like we need to start really embracing failure is not failing. It's just not doing it. Right. And if you embrace that, then you'll take that first act. You'll take that second act. And I think the other thing, you know, is like a lot of people think that Martin Luther King or like AOC, or I feel like AOC is a good example. Like I'm sure people will look back and be like, wow, everyone loved AOC. No. <laughs> These people were not liked. She like, is you know, you're to so much hate, so much. But like, I'm sure there will look like she will have an MLK status right. for being like the youngest woman to run for office. Like, I don't even care about political affiliation. Right. Like, she showed that you didn't have to be almost going into retirement home to represent our country. Like, that's was so groundbreaking in mm-hmm. itself. And I think that. Like, that's what I always have to tell myself. Like, if it's uncomfortable or if it feels like it's, you know, mm, it's usually right. Like, it's usually I need to say it. I need to do it because, like, then things that we've done in the past that were uncomfortable are now becoming more mainstream. And so I think that's, I always try to remind myself and share that with others. If it was easy, everyone would be already doing it, you know? And as an entrepreneur, you have to be first. Yeah, you have to yeah. take that challenge on. I think that's such a wonderful uh, piece of advice. How many people are in your orbit at the moment? How many freelancers or employees do you have? Um, in my orbit, I have, um, I just did the count the other day. I want to say nine people. Great. 
and I'm yeah. sure increasing as demand increases. Yeah, we actually get people who want to just work like and be a part of an act. And they're like, look, we don't, what do you need? Like we don't, might not have the skill set, but we just want to be a part of this community and we believe in what you do and how you do it. And like, just give us projects. That's so awesome. that's, it's a cool feeling. It's hard yeah. to find people in like home goods. It's like, who's, because that's, because you have to sell. So like we're in this mode where we need to sell, but we're like, who's cool who comes from home goods? <laughs> <laughs> who's cool who comes from it's kind of weird, you know, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of cool people, but not a lot of people who have experience. Right. Exactly. Like you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, um, yeah. Well, I was just thinking, coming back to the earlier point about the trend that I'm noticing in your career arc is again, safety versus risk, what we've been told versus what we feel on the inside, things I'm profoundly interested in. And it appears to me that our generation and the younger generation are realizing that that safety is now an illusion. And that a lot of that model that we were told was safe, it's just it's just factually wrong. It used to be, you know, like what your parents said, hey, you need to get a job, you need to do all of this. But how many people right now have been failed by pursuing that path? How many people went to school, got the degree, graduated with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt that they can't repay? Suddenly they can't get that job that they were expecting that was going to cover all of that debt. And they're just in this downward career cycle where, hey, none of those safe things ended up working out. So I think maybe my hypothesis in a sense is that the safe road isn't that safe and that it's failing tons and tons of people right now. Housing is skyrocketing, which is another thing that I've talked about with other very smart people on this show. Housing is unattainable. Very few people are even considering buying a home or they're thinking, what would it be like? Where would I even live if I did buy a home? So this idea that we can cling to the balance beam, to borrow your metaphor, which I love, is also kind of an illusion. Things are changing. The pandemic showed that. People did everything right. They're still out of a job. They're still on an unemployment for the last two years. People who never, ever made a mistake are still getting screwed by this rapidly changing system. So in a sense, is that safe anymore? Gosh, it's such a great, uh, uh, like, I forget what article I was reading, but they, that they said it's safer to invest in yourself, your own skill set, and your ability to build your own brand than it is to work for someone else in corporate. And I was like, oh, I was like that hit home because we've just been taught something so different. And I think for me, what safety is, is like every person has unique gifts and a unique skill set. That they that can in, in some in our capitalistic society, I believe, can find monetization. Yeah. So we need to all be invested in knowing what value we bring, and then creating our livelihoods around that value, instead of just trying to get a job, get a paycheck, and like, you know, numb out for forty to fifty hours a week. And then, like, live our lives on the weekends. Right. And okay. again, like you said, when you're 65 or 67, because it keeps getting pushed back, surely in our <laughs> lifetime will be 68, 69, 70. It's not yeah. going to go down. It's not going to be 63. It's only going to go up. And then Social Security won't be there. All of these programs will be just gutted. And like, oh, I congratulations. Mean, we, have to be, we have to, I hear you. Um, but I also feel like we have to believe in abundance. We have to believe in positivity. Like, I'm like, you know, 
what can we do today? And I think uh, my friend and I were talking about this this weekend. She's like been toying with going full time for stand up comedy. And she was like, I don't know. My dad's like, you just need to be a teacher. Like, stop doing this. Right. And he was like, she she said she read a quote was like, the world, do what makes you feel alive because the world needs people who feel alive. Right. Yeah. And I think that's like where we're at. And I think that's what I hold for anyone who looks for guidance. Like I've had some people who are like, oh, do I just do like an e-commerce company like you? And I'm like, no, you have, cause there's going to be so many problems and you have to know why you have to have it your why to be able to push you through the problems. Like I have a lot of problems I dealt with this morning, but I know why we're doing them and it pushes me through them. Whereas like other people, I'm like, you have a gift to give. You have a purpose and a path here. You just need to do the work to know what, you know, to do that. And you have to have faith and trust it. And that's, I think, the fear that falls in. Yeah, and you have to be true to your own path. Like, you had a background in textiles. You had a background in this. And then you said, based on my life experiences, this was the opportunity that seemed reasonable to me. That doesn't mean that somebody else who has no background in that should go make a hemp towel. They should just do the thing that's true to their background and their talents and their experience. I completely agree with that. And to be very clear, I am optimistic. And that's why I like talking to people like you to remind us all that there are people like you out there and that they're winning being true to themselves and helping the planet. So it's not that I'm uh, pessimistic in that regard. It's just I think this one particular model that has been sold to us, I think that just I don't believe in that anymore. School prices are skyrocketing. All of these things are adding up to make that path not nearly as safe as it once was considered. But in terms of somebody taking ownership of their life or doing the kinds of things, that I believe in 100,000%. And uh, do you know who Jim Rohn is, one of those famous old school motivational speakers? Not Gen 1, but Gen 2, like Earl Nightingale, Gen 1. He's in the 70s, let's say, Jim Rohn, and he has a very funny voice. And he did okay. a lot of uh, those things. And a couple of things that he said that, that really stuck with me is... Uh, you should work harder on yourself than on your job. He said, if you work hard on your job, you can make a living. If you work hard on yourself, you can make a fortune. And of all of the things that he said, that one really hit me hard. Because what does it mean to work harder on yourself than on your job? What does that look like? How do you do that? And the other thing that he said that I really loved was, um, you should set a goal to be a millionaire, not for what it'll get you, but for what it will make of you to become. That got my brain thinking, this is many years ago, what it'll make of you. Because to achieve that kind of goal, look at your own arc. You've had to do very big things to go through this. You've made legislative change in your state. That's huge. You have brought employment to nine people in your orbit. That's huge. You have started a conversation. So more so than the money or the benefits that have come to you personally, you have become a bigger person through this journey. You've become a person with more value. And I'm the money. Cry. <laughs> well, but is that not true? It's really hard to reflect on it because I'm such a um, driven person. So like my vision is I want us to have our own space, kind of like Tom's in Venice Beach and have it here and have manufacturing happen and have like so many more people employed. So my brain immediately is like, until we get there, like it's, we're not there. Um, and then I rob myself of what we have created thus far. 
But I do think we're here to, it's good to be scared. It's good to jump off the cliff. It's good to see what you're made out of. And I genuinely think entrepreneurship and has done that. It has shown me everything I'm made out of and more. And it constantly tests me. Like, how bad do you want it? How much are you willing to get back on another meeting after you just got four rejections from other investors to like get that one investor or try all these marketing campaigns to find the one marketing campaign that all of a sudden everyone's like, wow, now we want to connect with this company. Um, It's really, really, really difficult. I don't know if, I think, I think different experiences can get you to that place of who and what are you made out of. But this one, if you feel like you're ready for it or or not ready for it, but if you're like, Hey, like I kind of really want to know quickly, like entrepreneurship will do it for you. (laughs) Right. So but thank you for saying that. I just, yeah, I I think we, we, we gotta live. We gotta do things that scare us. We have to not be afraid of this failure concept. And if we just reposition it as like my failure would have been if I had just kept, if like 10 years from now, I heard someone else on your podcast and was like, I had that idea once and like, you know, just like, but I, but all these things scared me. So I didn't do it. Like that's the failure. Right. Do you think that everybody knows within themselves what they should be leaning into the thing that they're afraid of that they should be doing? I feel like that requires a level of consciousness and awareness that like we are just not taught. And I just, I think meditation is such a huge component to opening that conversation. And I'm hoping more people are. Um, I was reading, oh my gosh. Oh, I'm reading The Wisdom of Anxiety. If you've heard of that. No, but that is instantly going to be purchased. (laughs) I'm making a note of that right (laughs) now. I don't know know. what's in it, but I like it already. So it's just like all of these things. Oh, I need that book. Anxiety is like plaguing us. It's like actually opportunities to dig deep into like, what is our body telling us? Like that where we need to be. And so I was reading it and she wrote like, oh, we have in our school curriculums, like here's how to like make a, whatever thing in home ec here's how to do this but like no one tells you how to calm your mind down no one talks about all of the things that are coming in our thoughts and like emotions and feelings are not you and like there is an essence of you that is like untouchable that has like all the answers that you're looking for and I think that like that I see that more in eastern culture um or the eastern hemisphere not really the western hemisphere um, that level of mindfulness. Yeah. Why do you think it's so hard for us? Like your friend who wanted to be a stand-up comic. Why do you think it's so hard that we feel this thing? We say, I know I'm energized by the laughter of strangers. I know I like making people laugh. I know I like being in front of a group of people. I know I like connecting with people. I know these things. There's something in me yearning for that experience. And yet, why is it that when it comes to the moment of pulling the trigger on making that happen, Why is that so hard, do you think? I think it's the the ego, like your internal ego kind of painting out what's going to happen. And I think that there's a fear of of abundance and like that scarcity comes in where it's like, oh, well, there's all these other people. Like there's these, how, like, what am I, how, how do I fit in here? 
and not realizing there's so much room for everyone. And that like, if you follow your path, then like it will unfold the way you're where you're supposed to be, but you don't get to necessarily control the outcome. And I think that that's like, what's relieved me. Like some, at first I didn't tell people like how big the vision was because I was like, Oh, it's just, I don't know. That's just too big and scary. And I'm like, what if we just lead with that? What if we're just like, here's where we want to go. Here's all the things. And then now it's like released and out of my body. And like, even if we never get there, like that's released. Cause that you know, was something I needed to hear or see. And perhaps like people who are nerve, who have like, I feel energized. This is where I need to be, um, need to focus on like, I just need to release this and then not, and then whatever, however will come, whatever, wherever I need to be, I'll be. Maybe not expect, like not having expectations over the result. And yeah, that's, I love every word of that. And also, like you said, redefining what exactly failure is. Because people think failure is I get up on stage and I'm laughed at, or I'm not laughed at. If I want to be laughed at or I'm booed, failure is people not liking me on social media. But it appears, based on evidence of people on their deathbed, that it's the not trying that seems to be the biggest perceived failure in a human life, the not having gone for it. Whereas, you know, if Kanye can still be confident with all the hate that he gets to reference him, you know, avoiding hate is not a good goal. And it's so easy to think that we should because we have this perception, especially on social media, that the most likes, most followed, that I'll I'll craft the perfect tweet or I'll say the perfect thing and that everybody is going to love me for it. But that's just never going to happen. No. There's nothing you can do that the whole world is going to say, great job, awesome. And when they, and if you do, you know you're doing something wrong. (laughs) Um, But if you know when you start getting like feedback that is not what you expect, you know you're doing something right. Because at least you're staying true to a lane of whatever is valuable to you. It's funny, my friend who who is now going to do go for this stand-up comedy special cool. that she wants to do. Um, I said that to her. We're like driving. It was like Saturday night. We're in the middle of nowhere, Florida. Um, my favorite writer, Marjorie Rollins. She wrote The Yearling, if you're familiar. I'm not. Um, I've heard the title, but I haven't read it. Okay. She is just like moved in like 1928 from New York to bought a grove, a hundred acre grove in Florida and lived on the grove and wrote about her experience and is just, the coolest. So we went to her home and we were like, what would Marjorie do? And so we're having these conversations because she was this writer who didn't think she would ever get like her moment. And and also a lot of people don't know, like she and others, you write, you do so many things for so long. And then it's one thing takes off and everyone's like, they were killing it all along. It's like, no, they were just getting rid of what they needed to do, like their creativity they wanted to give and something hit. But um, we're driving in like the middle of Florida and my friend Katie, I like told her that I was like, failure is not failing. If you just, it's just not doing it. And you have, and she's like, I'm going to do it. Cause now I'm, I'm now I know I'm not failing. And I was like, I just, it's such a freeing concept, you know? Well, that I can think of no better way as we reach the top of the hour to wrap up this show. So, uh, Brianna, thank you very much for sharing your journey with all of us. I'm deeply humbled that you came on here. I think it's super cool. I wish you nothing but the best onwards and upwards for the next several years. Keep on rocking. Keep on building your corner of the universe. 
I think it's fabulous Thank what you. you're doing. Um, any parting words or any anywhere that people can uh, support you or anything you want to draw attention to? I'll let you have the floor as we wrap it up. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for taking the time and being present and in the moment. It's so rare these days. Um, so I really appreciate that. And of course, obviously a shameless plug. If you want to check us out, anact.com, A-N-A-C-T, and um, follow us at Enact Global. And um, yeah, we would love to have you a part, anyone who's listening to be a part of the community. We're happy to answer any questions that you have. Um, my email is bkilcullen at anac.com. And just, yeah, thank you again. Thank you. And with that, the official <laughs> podcast is over. Over. Hope you really enjoyed that one. As you know, I'm fascinated with people who have just started something. And I think for many people, the idea of taking an idea to 100K in sales within one year is a life-changing thing. So she's proof that it's possible, folks. She's proof that you can do it. You just have to get the right idea out there and you have to stick to your guns. I love her story for that and it's great to see her early on in that journey. If you like this show, if you like these stories, please share this episode with somebody who might want to start an e-commerce business or wants to take that leap. Share it with anybody who might be inspired by her story. And the most important thing you can do, I've said it every time, but please just rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts or rate the show five stars on Spotify. Just help me grow this podcast. That is all I ask of you for now. Ha, 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 ha.